So, for those of you who don't know me, my name's Dale, and I'm part of the team that leads New Life Community Church. And over the past few weeks, uh, we've been looking at what it means to be a disciple by exploring the things that a disciple is devoted to. Helpfully, I haven't got a PowerPoint, but I do have a banner, so you can see them there. We've seen that a disciple is devoted or dedicated to Jesus, to his word, to prayer, to relationship, and to service. But this morning, you might have read ahead, so that's giving it away. I have the privilege of talking to you about a principle that encompasses and undergirds all of those aspects. Because a disciple of Jesus is devoted to growth. Growth in the knowledge of God's word. Growth in faith-filled prayer. Growth in depth of relationship. Growth in variety of and passion for service. And there's more. Being a disciple is about being devoted to growth in gifting. Growth in character. Growth in behavior. Growth in obedience. Growth in faith, godliness and holiness. And growth in overcoming sin. But most importantly, being a disciple of Jesus is about growing in Christ-likeness. 1 Corinthians 3.18 says this. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. Being devoted to growth is about being more like Jesus today than you were yesterday and seeking to be even more like him tomorrow. And the Bible says that this growth process of becoming more like Jesus day by day is part of our sanctification. That's a a churchy word in one sense, but it's basically describing the way that God takes us, separates us out from the world, and transforms us so that we're made fit to be used for the things that God intends for us. And this morning I want to focus on three key elements of growth as a disciple. We're going to look at supernatural growth, intentional growth, and corporate growth. But before we do that, I want us to think about this. I want us to think about an expectation of growth. In his book, Systematic Theology, Wayne Grudem says this, Much of the New Testament is taken up with instructing believers in various churches on how they should grow in likeness to Christ. It is the expectation of all the New Testament authors that our sanctification will increase throughout our Christian lives. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever considered how huge chunks of God's word, especially the New Testament, are dedicated to not just teaching us right theology and doctrine, but to teaching us how to grow? Have you ever thought about that? We know that when we come to faith, God saves us just as we are, despite all of our flaws and failings, in spite of all of our sin. But here's the thing. He never, ever leaves us there. There's an expectation in God's word that those who believe and follow Jesus don't just stand still. 
They don't stagnate. They don't remain unchanged. Instead, we're transformed by the power of God through the indwelling of his Holy Spirit in us. And that's from the moment we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We are set on a path of growth that will continue until Jesus comes again. But here's the challenge. Those who don't expect to see growth are not going to see the fruit of it. Now, I'm not green-fingered at all. I mean, I've actually spent about two years trying to get all the oil out of my fingers from being a car mechanic for so long. But it stands to reason that a gardener that expects a plant to grow will be intentional about tending that plant and will do all they can to maximize its fruitfulness. Whereas a gardener that has no expectation of growth whatsoever will ignore the plant, which will likely wither and produce little or no fruitfulness at all. That makes sense to me. But the same is true of us, you know. If we don't have any expectation that we'll ever grow, then we're not going to see much growth. But if our expectation of growth is aligned with the greatness and the goodness of the God who's promised it, then we're likely to be intentional about maximizing that growth. You know what that means? That means we can see exceptional growth in our lives. I want to flesh this out a little bit with a personal illustration. You know, when I preach, I normally like to share something about myself with you. Um, I appreciate it's, that's actually a little bit vulnerable for me, so I, you know, just bear with me as I deliver it. Have you ever heard of angry little man syndrome? I see that you have. <laughs> it's supposedly, it causes... Um, Shorter men to behave more aggressively and generally be more angry. Um, now, you may have noticed that I ain't the tallest tree in the forest. And whether it's because of this syndrome or some other reason, I couldn't tell you. But I can tell you that even though I gave my life to Jesus when I was about 13, for much of my life, I was an angry man. I stopped going to church not long after I was baptized and that is when I really started to notice this anger issue. I don't know if you would believe this about me, but as a young man, I got into a lot of confrontations. I had a lot of fights. Um, I put someone through a garden fence, got cautioned by the police. I beat my way through someone's door to get to somebody else. To be honest, um, it was normally because I could see some sort of injustice somewhere, or I wanted to try and stop another thing from happening. And I'd start out with a good intention. I'd want to defend. I'd want to uphold. I'd want to make things right. But then someone would throw a punch, someone would push, and that was it. The anger would come out of nowhere, and like a red mist, it would descend over my eyes, and I would just go. You've ever seen like a ferret all right? That's what I was like. As I got older, it became harder and harder to control, and smaller things would begin to set it off. And, and I almost got kicked out of college for getting into a fight. I lost a job because I squared up to the foreman uh, who was winding me up. 
And I shouted into his face in front of the whole workshop, let's take it outside, let's sort it out like men right now. So I was a big man. To be honest, I even felt pretty justified in my temper sometimes. And my unpredictable anger and temper actually helped me through a couple of scrapes a couple of times. So I got to rely on it a little bit. But looking back, I actually I felt really helpless because I thought, this is just who I am. This is just how things are, and it's never going to change. I'm always going to be this guy that gets into these situations and loses it. And I could, the only trajectory I could see is, is this is getting worse, and it's going to get worse. And who's going to be next? Who's going to receive my temper next? I had no expectation of change in my life, and I felt so depressed, and I felt so defeated that I didn't even bother trying in the end. But then God kicked me right up the backside and told me to go back to church. So I did. I started reading my Bible again, and I found passages like James 1, 19 to 20, where he says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Proverbs 14, 17. A man of quick temper acts foolishly, and a man of evil devices is hated. Suddenly, I saw my anger for what it really was. It was foolish. It was evil. And my anger wasn't justified. It didn't bring any of God's goodness into the world. If anything, it robbed me and others of it. And even though I still felt small and helpless in the face of it, as I read God's word and I meditated on it and I prayed, I got a big picture of God and his goodness. And that stirred my expectation that not only could he do whatever he wanted with me, but that he would do that. And so even though I felt ashamed, I began to repent and ask God to help me with my problem. And I put some practical things in place so that I could begin to control my temper. I began to remove myself from situations when I started to get irritated so I could calm down. But more importantly, in those moments, I prayed right there and then that God would change me not the situation, not the circumstances. I prayed God would change me so that I'd react differently. So that the anger I was feeling would be dissipated. And I can stand here today and say that by God's grace, and only by God's grace, the angry little man that I was is gone. I mean, on the outside, I'm still a little man. <laughs> I still get angry but God has done a miraculous work of growth inside me. In fact, a funny story, just to break it up a little bit. I, uh, I was at a commission, all churches together, meeting the other day, and someone was praying for me, and they prayed a lovely, a beautiful prayer over me. And right at the end of the prayer, they said, And Lord Jesus, I pray that this man grows in stature. I have never said a heartier amen in my life. <laughs> I 
I tell you this, I still have to take myself off sometimes and pray for God to change me and my perspective. But I can testify to you that he does it every single time. Every single time. And I want to just, in line with what God's already doing this morning, I want to challenge you. Do you have an expectation of growth in your walk with Jesus? Are there areas of your life, even this morning, that God is convicting you of? Things that you know need to change. Are there things you're frustrated with in terms of growth in certain areas? Do you want to see breakthrough in those things? If you can say yes to any of those things, then I want to encourage you with the same truth that encouraged me. If you are a disciple of Jesus, then there is a supernatural growth that is already happening in you, whether you realize it or not. And that's what I want us to look at next, that supernatural growth. Let's take another look at 1 Corinthians 3.18 that we started with. And this time I'm going to read it from the ESV. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. That's the image of Jesus, right? From one degree of glory to another. But here's the point I want to stress. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So this is the growth in us that happens not as a result of our will or our efforts or even our feelings, but because of and through the supernatural indwelling, transforming presence of God in us. Through the Holy Spirit, we have been changed, we are being changed, and we will be changed more and more into the likeness of Jesus. Do you know that? You don't have to get up in the morning and decide to be changed. God is doing that in you because of his presence in you. When you said, yes, you are my Lord and Savior, Jesus, he said, good, I'm going to change you now. I'm going to make you more like me. And he started that process. It doesn't start with you. The pressure and the weight of growth is not on your shoulders. It's on his My shoulders are just little shoulders. I can't carry much. His shoulders are huge. You might say to me, but why is this so important? I'll tell you this. Because with God, all things are possible. Amen? I want to read to you Psalm 104, verse 1 to 9. I mean, you can pick virtually any psalm or or, or many parts of Scripture and get the same thing, but... Let all that I am praise the Lord. O Lord my God, how great you are. You are robed with honor and majesty. You are dressed in a robe of light. You stretch out the starry curtain of the heavens. You lay out the rafters of your home in the rain clouds. You make the clouds your chariot. You ride upon the wings of the wind. 
The winds are your messengers. Flames of fire are your servants. You placed the world on its foundation so it would never be moved. You clothed the earth with floods of water, water that covered even the mountains. At your command, the water fled. At the sound of your thunder, it hurried away. Mountains rose and valleys sank to the levels you decreed. Then you set a firm boundary for the seas so they would never again cover the earth. Can you do any of those things? Is any of that even remotely in your grasp? It's not. But it is in his. It is in his. Can you even begin to conceive of the might and the power, the awesome supernatural supremacy of the God who could do the things that this psalm is talking about? This is the God of the Bible. This is the God that we worship. And this, brothers and sisters, is the God who is at work in us. And when you realize that it's the God of the Bible who is already at work in you to bring about supernatural growth, suddenly your perspective opens up. Your problem gets a whole lot smaller and your job gets a whole lot easier. Because all you need to do is get out of his way and do all you can, like that gardener, to maximize that growth he's already begun in you. Which leads me to my second point, intentional growth. You see, if we acknowledge that the awesome God of the Bible is going about the business of causing us to grow, then how can we maximize our growth and fruitfulness? so that we can be fit for the purposes he has for us and see the breakthroughs that we want to see in our lives? Well, the answer is that we can be intentional about our own growth. And the good news is the Bible is jam-packed with encouragements, with commands, with instructions on ways that we can and should choose to work with God's Spirit in us to bring about that extraordinary growth in our lives. Going to read some of them. Colossians 3 1 to 2. If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things of the earth. Do you know that when Jesus died, you died with him? Do you know that all those things that you struggle with? all those areas that you want to see breakthrough and growth in, do you know that your old self was laid to rest in the ground with Jesus Christ? And you have been raised with him to new life. At one time, we had no choice about what our minds were doing. We were dead in our sins. But because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we do have a choice with what we do with our minds. We can choose what we set our minds on. That means we can choose what we think about, what we give ourselves to. We can choose where our attention goes. We can choose to be absorbed with the cares of this world. We can choose to be preoccupied with the feelings and the desires and the experiences of our bodies. Or we can choose to be absorbed with the things of God. We can choose to be preoccupied with prayer, with meditating in God's word and being obedient to his call and instruction. 
And we can choose to be completely caught up in the eternal life Jesus has won for us, which will constantly lead us to walk in step with God's spirit, not in opposition to him. And that will help to maximize our growth that he has already started. Romans 12, one to two. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. As disciples devoted to growth, we're not to conform ourselves, and that's the sense here. We're not to conform ourselves to the mold that the world wants to impress upon us. Instead, we're called to take what's happening on the inside and display it on the outside. If God is at work supernaturally renewing our minds on the inside, then our job is to reflect that in our attitude and actions on the outside. We are to be completely transformed. And that word there in the Greek is the root word for metamorphosis. You recognize that word? That's what happens when a, a, um, a caterpillar goes from a caterpillar into a butterfly. Now, that's not what the writer had in mind originally, but that's what we've applied it to in English. It's that stark contrast between what it was and what it is. When, when the Bible tells us to be transformed, that's the kind of change that we are looking at. The difference between a little caterpillar and a beautiful butterfly. It's that stark. But what does that actually look like? What does that beautiful butterfly look like? Colossians 3, 5 to 10 says this. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshipping the things of the world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to one another. For you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. The apostles talking about these things as though they're a filthy old set of clothes that are no longer any good. And our job is to daily put to death those sinful earthly things lurking in us. We all know what they are. And we have to make a conscious choice not to put on those filthy old clothes. And instead, verses 12 to 15, we must clothe ourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and, and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, 
You're called to live in peace and always be thankful. If we want to grow as disciples of Jesus, then we have to work with the Holy Spirit in us and what he is doing. So that not only are we supernaturally transformed, but we are being intentional about choosing, Romans 13, 14, to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Now I know in one sense that sounds easy, and we know that it's actually really hard. But if we have a great big God who is already at work in us, and we are simply getting ourselves in line with what he's trying to do, that's a much smaller thing to have to do than to take all that weight on our shoulders as if it's all up to us. I want to finish this morning by looking at a final element, corporate growth. Ephesians 4, 15 to 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Although as disciples we should be individually devoted to growth, we're not meant to do it on our own. We're meant to do it as part of the people of God, the church, the body of Christ, Because as we mature as individual disciples of Jesus and we grow up into him by becoming more like him, we cause this body to be built up in love because we bring all the gifts and the skills that God has given us and we bless others and benefit the whole church with them. And even as we do that, the body of believers, my brothers and sisters here, you stir me up You bring me encouragement, you bring me challenge, and you provide safety that fosters growth in me. And we can do that for one another. So as we individually grow, so we all grow together. This is God's good plan and provision for us. So as Hebrews 10, 24 to 25 says, let us then consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as some, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. If I could have the worship team up. So we've seen that being a disciple devoted to growth is about having an expectation of growth. And we've lifted our eyes and seen that our expectation of growth is justified because of the awesome power and majesty of the God we worship. And we've seen that it's this God who is supernaturally and sovereignly at work, causing us to grow. And we've understood that it's our job to get out of his way and do all we can to maximize that growth that he's already begun. And we do that by putting to death the sinful things in us and choosing to clothe ourselves in Christ every day. And finally, we've seen that we're not meant to grow alone, but in community with our brothers and sisters in the Lord. Remember, because of God at work in you, you are more like Jesus today than you were yesterday. 
the question I have for you is, what can you do today to be even more like him tomorrow? As a worship team are going to lead us now, I want to call a response to some of the things I've already mentioned and I think some of the things that God's already been doing amongst us. I want to ask you again, do you have an expectation of growth in your walk with Jesus? Do you expect to grow? Do you expect things to change? Do you expect to see great breakthrough? Are there areas in your life that even now, again, you are feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit because they need to change? Maybe they are sinful things. Maybe they're unhelpful and ungodly patterns of thinking or behavior. Are you frustrated with your growth in certain areas? Do you want to see breakthrough in those things? I want to remind you this morning again about the great big God we serve. He's the reason we have an expectation. He's the reason we, we will see breakthrough in those things when we come to him. So I want to invite you. I'm going to stay down here at the front. I'm going to invite you to come forward and receive prayer. I want to pray for you about these things. I know it's scary coming up the front to respond. But sometimes there is, a, there is a breaking inside you that has to be done in order that God can bring breakthrough into those things. And that sometimes looks like taking a step forward. So I'm going to pray. Worship team are going to lead us. And I'm just going to hang out here at the front. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the breakthrough that you've brought in my life, for the change, for the growth. I thank you that I'm not the angry little man I was. God, I want to pray that you would, you would bring that breakthrough into my brothers and sisters this morning. I want to pray, Lord, that you would stir each and every one of them to step forward to receive prayer this morning so that things would change, a new season would begin, and their lives would be all the better for it. Come in your power. Come with your spirit. Sweep amongst us, Lord. Stir us, even if we're, even now, if we're closing ourselves off. Soften our hearts to hear your voice. And Lord, I pray, let us rejoice. Fill us with joy as we come to worship again now as we consider how great you are, how small our problems are. We want to give you the glory. We want to say thank you for the work of growth you've started in each and every one of us. Show us, Lord, how to make the most of that. Show us how to be more like you than we were yesterday. And show us how to be more like you tomorrow than we are today. Amen.